0: Today Jesus call, begins to call his disciples, and these disciples, disciples is a Greek word, it means follower. These disciples, Peter and his brother John, or Peter and his brother Andrew, John and his brother James and Philip, these are the first of the, of the twelve apostles. These of course will, these disciples will later become apostles, and an apostle is a Greek word meaning sent, and these men will become the priests. And just a word, this is not what my is about, but this is really important to, to know, that Jesus founded the church on the priesthood. He didn't found it on even the Eucharist. The Eucharist comes from priests. He didn't found it on the laity or parishes. He founded the church on the priesthood. So the church is only ever as holy or sick as the priesthood. So please know that, know the importance of priesthood for God and for the church and for our faith, etc. All right. so today he's beginning to call these guys to him, to follow him, and Jesus has some kind of magnetism about him. I mean, they wouldn't just leave their nets and whatnot and journey for days and days on foot following a homeless man who said, Come and follow me. They're following Jesus because there's something about this guy, even before they've seen the miracles, there's something about this guy that is compelling to them. And then Jesus begins to perform all those miracles that we begin to hear about. We even begin to hear about those miracles here in this gospel, curing every disease and illness among the people. And over time, you know, they're, they're, in Jesus, their relationship with Him begins to grow and grow and grow. And in time, they even begin to think He might be the Messiah. Really important to understand what the concept of Messiah was for them. For some of them, it was, they just wanted a liberator for their little nation of Israel. They wanted to throw off Roman occupation. They wanted to get rid of corrupt King Herod, who was sort of the Jewish ruler in cohort with the Romans, etc., and create whatever sort of thing. But that was sort of a superficial understanding of Messiah. What the real Messiah was that the Jews had been looking for for a long, long time was the one who crushed the head of the serpent. So the reason why in the Old Testament and the New Testament genealogies are so important, like the New Testament begins with, you know, Adam and Eve, and then it goes all the way to Jesus, etc., is they all understood that from Eve would come the seed that would crush the serpent's head. The one who betrayed the human race in the Garden of Eden would ultimately be destroyed by someone. And the someone would come through the line of Eve. And so these genealogies kept trying to track their way back to Eve's genealogical line and who held the blessing traveling down through the centuries of time from Eve or the seed from Eve on to Abel who was murdered by Cain and then the blessing landed on Seth the nextborn son, Seth's descendants down to Noah, Noah down to Abraham, etc. They all kept looking for this line to find the Messiah the one who is not going to just liberate a country, Israel, for the next 40 years, but one who is literally going to free the human race from the devil, from Satan and all the the trauma that, that the devil and sin and suffering that brought to the human race. So this is really, really big. And over the next three years, these disciples become apostles, become a priest. And they, they realize this is the Messiah. This is the one. And not just the liberator of Israel. Jesus kind of makes it clear. No, I'm not going to do that for you. I'm doing something much greater. This is, this is the one prophesied by God in the first book of the Bible in Genesis the first prophecy of the Bible, coming to fulfillment in Jesus. And then they'll eventually realize that he's not even just that, that he's God. And this is a, a big thing for them because the Jews, the Jews are learning over time that they've got their God, Yahweh, and then the other nations have their gods. And that their God, Yahweh, is a jealous God, doesn't want them worshiping any, any of the other nations' gods. But they eventually begin to realize by about the Babylonian captivity that there really is just one God, their God, and the other gods are not gods at all. They they might be spiritual entities like fallen angels and demons, you know, worshipping Baal. Well, Baal is just a demon. And these other nations aren't aware that they're worshipping and following demons. That only Israel worships the one true God, and there is only one God. There aren't many, just the one. And then these guys come to realize by the time Thomas touches the wounds after the resurrection, remember Thomas said, I won't believe in his resurrection, touches the wounds and he says, my Lord and my God, the disciples, the apostles collectively come to understand, not only are you the one prophesied in Genesis, you're God himself. Then they, it's going to take the church a few centuries to understand one God in three divine persons. That God is a trinity of persons. A Father, a Son, and the Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And that the Son was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so they're learning all of these things, and they're discovering, and they're eventually they come to this realization that Jesus is God. And by this time, they're willing to leave their wives and children, go to foreign countries and evangelize, and ultimately die like Jesus did. Die brutal, torturous deaths. All of them but for John. And even then, they tried to kill John that way, but God wouldn't allow him to die like that. But all the rest would die martyrs in foreign lands without their spouses. Why would they do that? Because they knew they were in communion with God, and they were... They were serving the one true God and the liberator of the human race, the Messiah that would fulfill the prophecy and crush the serpent's head, and they're going to be part of that whole thing. All right, that's really important stuff. For us, 2,000 years later, hopefully, we recognize that Jesus is God one God and three divine persons Father, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus never began, He's eternal. He didn't begin 2,000 years ago. He's eternal. He never began. Together with the Father and the Spirit, the one God never began. The one God dwelt in Himself in perfection and happiness and then created time and then created heaven and then created the universe and created earth and the angels and people, etc. To share in God's glory and wonder. And the second person would go to earth as a human being. All right. Here's this thing, though. That's super important, and I think that's the right starting point to understand who Jesus is. He's God. Teach your children that one-word answer. Any three-year-old should be able to, if you say to a three-year-old, who's Jesus? They should say, God. God. That's our answer every time. Who's Jesus? God. Then we can also say, he's the Messiah, etc., but first and foremost, he's God. It's just that, here's the thing. If God is inviting us to follow him, etc., and we know what happened to those apostles, it's, uh, I don't know. That's a hard follow. That's a hard ask. I don't know that I want to do that. Lord. I mean, that's well, Ultimately, what you're asking is for me, for everything. You want me up on a cross like you, and I, I just, I don't know, I don't... You, you want me to leave the comfort of my family or the, op- the various options that are open to me that are going to close if I follow you? I, I don't know. I don't know. But yet, we also know, too, that that's the right thing to do. It is really hard to do. In, in effect, it's just laying down our life to follow Him. If we fast forward to the end of the film on the 12 apostles, we see how their lives end. In foreign countries, having left their wives and children behind, and dying martyrs. And we're like, I already know how the story ends, and I don't know that I want to do that. I'm going to have a really hard time following Jesus if that's the end. So, but here's this thing, this is really important for us. These disciples, as they begin, these simple followers, Peter and Andrew, John and James and Philip, and then later we'll add Thomas and Matthew and, and the rest of them. In the beginning, it's just a relationship. It's just a relationship with a very special man. And in that relationship, they'll begin to grow, and they'll receive all kinds of gifts and graces from God. And their lives will be transformed. That in the end, with every step of the way, as they are stretched and challenged, and they grow in their faith, etc., that they discover that they can do it. And not only can they do it, but their life is profoundly enriched because of it. But it starts at the beginning. And so I want to give you this image. How is it that we have this relationship with Jesus where we're willing to give Him everything? How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time like it did for the apostles. But it certainly needs prayer, daily prayer. And by daily prayer, what I mean is focused time with Jesus every day. So here is Father Nathy in my chapel praying my holy hour. I'm in there praying, I'm saying my office, I'm, I'm reading through the prayers in my office and all that. The next thing I know this is I'm literally taking real life examples. I'm thinking, do... Do two Whoppers equal the calorie count of Whoppers and fries? Because if they do, then I don't need the fries. I can just get two Whoppers. And then I look up at Jesus in front of me, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I was somewhere else. Or, you know, if I were the Pope, this is what I would do. And then I spend like 10 minutes being the Pope. And then I come back, and I see Jesus in front of me. and I'm like, ah, I'm so sorry. So with a family member, let's say a spouse or a child in need or whatever, they need your undivided attention right now. That means you stop doing the dishes or you stop watching TV or you put your newspaper down or whatever, and you, you sit up and you look right into their eyes and you give them your undivided attention. They need you right now. They need to talk about something. And you can't, you can't be somewhere else. You need to be focused and with them right now. We all know what that is. We've all done that. We need to try to do that every day in prayer with the Lord. To give Him some focused time where our our attention is not divided. We're focusing on you now. You have my undivided attention. And in that moment of prayer every day, we begin to talk to Him. And He talks to us. But if we don't give Him our undivided attention, we can't hear Him. We can't hear Him. And our relationship doesn't go beyond this stuck, immature place. So we have to pray every day. We have to pray every day. And we have to give Jesus our undivided attention in that prayer every day. Then the next thing is this. Last night I got this book. It's called The Nine Degrees of Prayer. It's a really great book. I got a hold of it many years ago and it's out of print. You might be able to get it on eBay or something, but uh, it's a very small little book. Reading through it again. I was reading through it last night and this one thing in there, I don't remember which of the nine degrees of prayer was at, but this one saintly priest, uh, he's not a canonized saint. There is a cause for that to happen one day, but anyway. In there, he had said, as a seminarian, he had this moment where he thought of joining the Holy Family. That, well, what if Jesus, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and St. Joseph invited him to join their family, to become the fourth member of the Holy Family? And in his prayer, they were telling him, yes, please join us. And that completely changed his life. From there on, as a seminarian, he made a commitment to spend two hours a day in prayer. And he, and he lived that for the rest of his life. Two hours, and priests are busy people. Two hours a day in prayer. As a member of the Holy Family. And then throughout his day, always to think of himself as a member of the Holy Family. With the Blessed Virgin Mary as his mother. Saint Joseph as his father. And then to be there with... The king, baby king, Jesus. And to be a member of that family. When I read that last night, and again, I read that years ago, and years ago that really touched me, and then I forgot all about it over time, and then I read it again last night, and I remembered that thing, I thought, that would be really special. That would be really, really special. That would be very special for me, because I know, like, when I'm in my prayer, then it leads to meditation. It leads to some kind of contemplation. It leads me to go into a place with God when my prayer is good prayer. And with this image of the Holy Family, I thought, you know, I don't have to be an apostle. I don't have to go to the end of the world. I don't, I don't have to put it upon me to save all of you. What if I just became a member of the Holy Family? then I would try to be holy all the time. If I lived with the Holy Family and none of these three ever sin, and like Jesus and Mary are perfect, Jesus as God, Blessed Virgin Mary, prayed her natural gifts of Adam and Eve before the fall, due to her immaculate conception, and St. Joseph being the only man that God would entrust himself and his mother to. Then if I'm a member of that family, I am. my radar is on. I am like not trying to think of anything evil. I'm, I'm going to watch my tongue, what I'm going to say. I'm going to be careful about what I do. I'm going to really love this family and try to fit in as this member. Now I can't, you know, I can't really think of myself as Jesus' brother in that context. They're just too great for me. But maybe I'm like Alice on the Brady Bunch. I get to live there and I get to serve that family and be a part of that family in that way. And I find for me, it's really powerful. The intimidation or the distance that comes from Jesus as God or calling me to give my whole life and to cast out into the deep or to go make apostles of all nations, that's a bit much. But just to be a member of the Holy Family for now, that seems doable. Families have needs too. There are chores that have to be done. and At, at night there's a baby crying or a child who's sick. Somebody's got to get out of bed and take care of them. So as I'm sleeping in bed and I wake up and I, I hear the Lord say, yeah, why don't you get out of bed and pray right now? That's the baby crying. i got to get out of bed and i got to go pray right now. That's what he wants. That's what's needed right now. There, you know, just throw myself on the couch and be lazy and whatever sort of thing. But no, there's a meal to be prepared. There's some work that I need to do at my desk. I need to open up that book and start reading it. I've been meaning to for a long time. But I haven't because I just keep throwing myself on the couch and I'm just too lazy. But now I'm in the Holy Family and there's a meal. and, And the book represents a meal that needs to be prepared and I need to get in there and and work on the meal. I need to sit down at my desk and start reading that book. And that whole relating. Relating that way. And living that way. And then over time. It transforms. Instead of thinking all the time about what I'm going to say and do. And being on my toes in this family. Where I'm obviously. You know the little guy. The underdog. In time. I become this person. I become that that I am. I idealized myself to become. And then from there, God can do anything with me. He can do anything with me. And it's God doing it, not me. Anything with me. So I put that before you. That today, Jesus is calling. He's inviting. He doesn't have a gun at anyone's head. He's just saying, come to me, follow me. For now, don't worry about going to another country or converting the world or whatever. Just for now, join me. And if this image helps you, join me in my little holy family in Nazareth. Just dad working as a carpenter and the chores and the things that have to be done. Being a responsible member of this family. Trying to emulate dad and mom and Jesus. Trying to be holy. And then from there, great, great growth, great fruit will happen. And I think that's an accessible image, something that we can all understand and strive to do and to be. And if we do, if we strive to live that, there will be great fruit, great graces, and in time, great conversion. And God will be able to do amazing things with us through that conversion.